0: Stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. In my work with coaching clients, I guide people to improve their communication using storytelling as the foundation of our work together. What I've realized over years of coaching and podcasting is that the majority of people don't realize the impact of the stories they share on their internal messages and on the people they're sharing them with. What really lights me up is guiding executives and uncovering the stories in their lives that are meaningful. The stories that when shared with the right audience in the right way, connect, inspire, and motivate. Here's what a former client had to say about our work together. As a leader of leaders, I struggle with how and when to use my stories to emphasize the points my audience is looking for. It's a delicate balance between sounding like I'm bragging and delivering a message that needs to be heard. Sarah's approach to storytelling clears that obstacle so that you can deliver a clear and concise message using your stories to emphasize your points. It's truly amazing when it all comes together. Greg McDonough, Blackburn Capital Advisors and president of the Entrepreneurs Organization of Washington, D.C. Visit elkinsconsulting.com to learn more about working with me. So excited today to interview Rachel Druckenmiller, who um, I was introduced to via LinkedIn. Um, who
1: introduced us, Rachel? I think it was a connection through the Humans First community. Um, uh, yeah. So we had connected maybe a year and a half ago, and then I saw uh, the interview that you did with Teresa Quinlan, and Teresa's amazing, and I was on her podcast. So it's like, hey, maybe we should like re- reconnect. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's right. That's how that happened. I've been introduced to such amazing
0: people over the last few months. I'm having trouble keeping straight who introduced me to whom. And I'm thinking I should just draw it out like a, like a wagon wheel, you know, with centers. And because when I read the tipping point, I thought it was really a cool idea of having connectors in your life. Mm. So, so I'm thinking maybe I'll map it out sometime, but do it anyway. I'm just so glad we reconnected, and um, I'm, that I get to interview you now for your stories don't define you. How you tell them well. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to. I love storytelling, and um, and I'm excited to kind of unpack some today.
0: Yes, yeah, so well, that's the most fun part of what we do. So uh, I always start by asking my guests to share a little something about themselves that most people might not know about them so that our listeners have some more context to um, develop their image of who it is that we're talking to over the next 40 minutes or
1: so. Yeah. Well, it's funny because most people now, when they see me now, they assume that I'm like, oh, I've always been really outgoing and boisterous and extroverted and and energized. And I was so not. Like I was a shell of that growing up um, and very toned down, very shy, very reserved, timid, guarded, Um, and people, people just assume that how someone is, as an adult is kind of like, oh, you've always been this way. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 I've definitely evolved. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Grown, learned, changed. (laughs) Oh, I definitely
0: hear you on that. You'd be surprised how many people say that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm always like, oh yeah, that it, it doesn't surprise me necessarily, but it is something that people would not know. I mean, just, uh, just from knowing you and um, just as a brief interlude there, one time when my younger son, who's 20 now was about 10 years old, he came up to me while I was talking to a group of people at a music festival and um, he walked away. And I said to my friend, oh my gosh, I don't know where he gets it. He is so confident and so comfortable in his skin. And she looked at me and she started laughing. She said, yeah, I don't know where he gets that. And I looked at her and I smiled, you know, and I said, but he. I wasn't like that at 10. Mm-hmm. I was so shy. I mean, I didn't even speak in front of people that weren't my family till I was over four years old. I just wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I was so shy. And my friend looked at me and she smiled knowingly. She said, he didn't know you then.
1: Wow, <laughs> That's cool. What a cool perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very ah. cool. So anyway, I would love for you to share with our audience a little bit about what you do and why it lights you up.
1: Yeah. So what I do, I, um, I work with organizations and associations and their leaders and their teams, and I help them to kind of like, I don't know, activate, unlock, catalyze uh, uh, hope and resilience and connection and engagement and energy. Um, and I do that as I'm a speaker, facilitator, and I also sing. And so I kind of bring all of these pieces together as a way to just like I, I don't know, I like to wake something up in people so that they're mm-hmm. transformed in some way. So they have a different perspective and and not just they walk away feeling, you know, we've all been to things where it's like, oh, that was inspiring. Now let me go keep living my life as I was living my life before. <laughs> exactly. I call that the after conference hangover. <laughs> yes. I'm not interested in that. Like that may be some people's thing. And that's but like I want you to I want people to walk away. Like people have left sessions and like left jobs or they've advocated for themselves at work or they've or they've had a difficult conversation they needed to have in a relationship or they've put a video of themselves dancing out on LinkedIn or they've launched a financial wellness webinar series just like they've they've they've, d- they've left and done something and for me that that feels like you know so compelling for me as to why I do what I do that it actually leads people to take action in some way mm-hmm. um, or to, or to to live their life differently, to show up in the world differently and, and be more intentional in how they interact with other people and, and, and in the choices that they make about how to put themselves out there and express themselves or advocate for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that really, when I hear stories like that, or, or even, even hear somebody open up about something they've been struggling with that, like all of that just like, just fires me up.
0: Yeah. So you immediately had an image in your head. I could tell. So um, our, our listeners don't get to see our faces, but I got to see your face. When you said um, advocates for themselves, you had somebody in your head. Tell me about that experience. Mm.
1: So I was doing a workshop. It's, funny. it's very, very perceptive. Um, <laughs> I, I was doing a workshop for a um, global consulting firm a couple of years ago, and it was around burnout, beating burnout after I'd gone through my own journey with completely tanking and burning out and getting mono in 2017. Oof. So I was like, well, like do as I say, not as I, not as I did basically. Um, and I was with this group of people, group of managers, project managers. And after the session, it was like a 50 minute session. And after the session, like two days later, one of the women reached out to me on LinkedIn and was like, Rachel, I've already made, um, already made a huge change in my life. I was like, it's like 50 minutes, you know, think to yourself, you're like, all right, Right. I'm pretty good. But I'm like, I'm not that good. (laughs) What the hell did I say? Cause I want to do it again. (laughs) Right. Like what happened? And she shared with me that she, um, that, that she was a single mom and she had to split her time between where she lived and traveling to, you know, um, I don't know, I'd say like a third of the way across the country to do this other part of, of her work. And, and, Travel was more frequent than she anticipated it would be when she signed on for this role. And she said, I had asked a question of who gets the best of you and who gets um, the rest of you in the experience. And she said she came home and talked to her um, partner about that particular question and how it was really making her think. And so, um, because she realized she wasn't really giving the best of herself to to her family and she wanted to do that more. Mm -hmm. And so the next day, So she comes to the thing. Then the next day she, she goes to her boss and asks for a change in her role so that she could just be based in one location and not have to travel. And her boss said, yes. And she said (sighs) at the end of her note was what I'll never forget. She said, Rachel, I slept better last night than I have in a year.
0: Oh, Oh, I just got to chill. Like that kind of impact is priceless all yeah, the money like, in the world okay. isn't enough Mm-mm. to, to get that kind of impact.
1: Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. That's like, awesome. So it's like, she did, but it's like, she did it, you know, like she did the mm-hmm. hard thing. She had the scary conversation that was vulnerable and she could have gotten a no, she could have gotten pushback mm-hmm. and, but she was brave and she asked for what she wanted and now she can be a more present mom and mm-hmm. a more present partner and, and not feel the sense of inner conflict all the time between these things that she val- you know, values. And mm-hmm. so that was just such a, I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm done for the month. I think (laughs) (laughs) that was, that was what I needed. That's (laughs) That's what she needed. Oh, I hear
0: you. Those kinds of conversations and just seeing an email, a short email or even a text message from somebody Mm -hmm. with that kind of impact. It's, it's amazing. It makes us want to just do more of it. I hear you. Um, And one of the things that popped into my head is how, how many times do we hesitate to have those conversations because we have this whole internal dialogue about how it's going to go? So we're trying to basically read somebody else's mind Mm -hmm. based on external factors that we have no idea what's going on internally. And then we ask for what we want and they're like, yeah, sure. After all all (laughs) that deliberating and internal dialogue and and it was as simple as that because that boss knew mm-hmm. that boss absolutely knew that if, if something didn't change, they were going to lose this person, yeah. but they didn't want to, you know, muddy the waters by giving them an idea. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I, I just, I keep thinking about that whole interaction that this woman knew mm-hmm. and, and yet she, she held to it because she was sure that things were going to go badly.
1: Yeah. Well, especially oh now, gosh. right? Like, like pandemic times, people yeah. are even more terrifying. So they're like, I don't want to be next on the chopping block. So I'm going to say nothing. And I'm going to fly under the radar and I'm going to be just in this chronic state of subtle misery. <laughs> just <laughs> tough it out. Cause, like Because it's comfortable. I yeah. mean,
0: there's a certain level of misery that we get comfortable with mm-hmm. and we think it's better than the alternative, which uh, it is never better than the alternative. Never, yeah. ever, ever. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's awesome. What a great story. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh when we first started our conversation, you said you studied in Spain in college, is that what you said? I did. Was it yes. a study abroad thing?
1: Yeah, I lived in southern Spain in Granada for uh 4 months, the fall of my junior year. And um when you think of your time in Spain, because it
0: just kind of came up flippantly. But when you Mm. think of your time in Spain, what's the image that pops into your head?
1: Mm. Uh, Just vibrancy. I imagine like we walked all the markets, like all the outdoor markets. It's so social. Like I never felt like I was alone as somebody who was very sort of introverted and to myself (laughs) growing up. Like I never felt like I was alone when I was there. It's such a social culture and like the sky, I mean, it's like San Diego weather, you know, it's like blue Mm -hmm. sky, like no humidity. There's, I mean, there's just sounds everywhere. There's music and people talking and smells and like, it's such a, it's such an experiential culture. Mm -hmm. Um, it's so vibrant. It really is. And, and so I, when I think back to that experience, I was terrified to go there too. I was like, "Mm -mm." I had not, you know, at the time, growing up in Maryland, hadn't even been to Florida before, <laughs> like which yeah. is not that far. <laughs> and no one in my family, no one in my immediate family had ever been um overseas. And I really resisted it initially because I was I'm a creature of habit and I liked familiarity and I'm a homebody. And I was like, mm, I don't really know if this is my thing. And then like literally every adult I talked to is like, are you nuts? Like <laughs> you absolutely should go live in Europe for four months.
0: <laughs> what made you even apply to go if you weren't all that excited about it? I mean, what was the story behind that?
1: Uh, my Spanish teacher, I, so I've always had a knack oh. for talking about languages. I've always had an affinity for language and so I took Spanish. I took So when I was in high school, I got accepted into an all-girls high school and I got accepted into the um the program for the Japanese. I had Japanese as an offering for language. Awesome. And you had you had to take it for 3 years and let me tell you, there were some challenges like our teacher almost got deported at one point like there was a lot of it was it was um i i wouldn't say i learned like vast amounts of japanese um i could write my name and kanji i knew certain things about the alphabet like there were certain things i could say but i was never like anywhere close to fluent, fluent. Mm-hmm. but i've always you know when i so when i went to college went to liberal arts school we had to pick a language for at least a year or something like that and so i picked Spanish. Because I'd taken it in grade school, and my professor pulled me aside after the first semester, and he was like, "You really have like an affinity for this. I think. Have you ever considered studying abroad?" And I was like, uh, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I, "I really think you should. I really think you should consider it." And at the time, it was so scary to think about. Oh, what am I going to miss out on? What am I going to miss out on in my two thousand person college? <laughs> um i was so afraid of that and then i talked to my mom who had a chance to study she could have potentially studied in france and when she was in college and didn't go i talked to other adults at the place i was interning and they were like rachel this is an opportunity that you will regret you will look back on with regret if you say no to this and i just had so many people encouraging me that way that i was like well i i guess i'm going to go um, mm-hmm. and I, and I was nervous and I was scared and I was hardly fluent in Spanish. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I went anyway, I didn't know, I knew one other person who was going to be in Madrid the same time I was going to be in Granada, um, two people that were going to be in Madrid, but that was it. Um, and I, and I, and I went and I, and I did it. Um, do you remember your arrival at the airport? Ca- total chaos. We went to, I forget what the airport was called, but Oh my gosh, you get there. There was this really odd smell in the air. I remember. And we, and we, we got off of the plane and it is like mass chaos everywhere. It's just like people running around like the, There's no organization to anything. I had like army sized duffel bags. Cause I'm there for four months. So I have like immense right. amounts of luggage and I'm, tr- I don't really speak a whole lot of Spanish. I'm trying. It was, it was very overwhelming. <laughs> um. <sighs> i
0: can see that what was the first thing like did you go straight to eat or did you
1: put your stuff in a bus or like what what did you do well we we met up with our group so i was with the the group um the app the, the 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 acronym is api i forget what it stands for api and so we they had a sign for us and so i met up with our group and our our instructor our primary guide was spanish but she had a lisp which certain Spanish people speak with a lisp anyway, like a Northern Spain. Right. Mm-hmm. But in I was Barcelona. like, yes, in Barcelona, right? Like the TH. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I'm really struggling anyway. This is so hard. I don't even understand. So there were certain people that were much further along in their studies than I was. And so they could kind of help to translate. And so we got on a, we got on a, a bus and we went into um, downtown Madrid where we stayed for a couple of days and we all, you know, unloaded our stuff. Then we all went to a cafe together and, I was the pickiest eater in the world, like truly. You know, I loved buttered noodles and and chicken fingers and I ate certain <laughs> vegetables, but I did not eat like, you know, global cuisine. Um and so the first restaurant we went to, I remember looking at the menu like in terror of <laughs> am I gonna find anything? <laughs> like I'll have some bread and cheese, you know, like <laughs> but that's what we did. We went out to eat um together. Um been Can as, you as see a a can you see it? Are you there? I remember it was a long table. I wrote, I journaled. I have two journals that I kept that I filled oh, awesome. in my time there. Yeah. Awesome. And I see myself periodically going back and forth between Spanish and English, like just, you know, experimenting, which right. is entertaining. Mm-hmm. And and I remember going there and certain people that I met, there was a girl from San Diego who was there, Cynthia. And just certain people you naturally kind of more quickly gravitate toward. Right. Um, like the people that knew the language better than me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, so translator, tell me what this is. Um, there was like, they had the ham like those, the ham, like hanging kind of uh-huh. dipped, dried ham, cured ham, like hawks mm-hmm. hanging everywhere. It's
0: amazing. Oh my yeah. gosh. Just salty and yeah. tender.
1: That's really wow. good. Wow. I remember. <laughs>
0: That's awesome, I love that. I, I always ask questions like that because um, I love to see the expression and hear the enthusiasm in a person's voice when they talk about those first memories of a new experience like that. Mm-hmm. and um, I my first trip overseas was going to Australia for a study mm-hmm. abroad wow. and I, I also remember getting off the plane and the I was kind of mean. I look back, I'm like, this was kind of mean, but there was a a boy in our group. And I mean, a boy Mm -hmm. who was born and raised in Colorado, had never left Colorado. And he had been complaining from the moment we got on the plane, really about, you know, not having what he needed or bad food or, you know, he was just, he was just that guy. And he was a fraternity guy. He had his frat shirt on. And I remember getting off the plane and getting out to the, the parking lot where a bus was waiting and the sun was setting. And I said, oh, Dave, isn't that cool the way the sun is setting in the east? And he looked at me, and he said, what? And I said, isn't that cool? I mean, because we're in the southern hemisphere. So the sun is setting in the east. He's like, uh, no. And I said, I don't care if you believe me. <laughs> I walked away, right? <laughs> I don't even know where it came from. I was being such a, a, a sister, you know? <laughs> so I, I remember I'm standing back with a couple people that I kind of connected with. And he walks over to the bus to get on the bus. And he goes to Dr. Rob, who was our host for the, the months that we were there. And he goes, Dr. Rob, isn't it cool the way the sun is setting in the east? Stop it.
1: Oh my gosh, I would have had a moment.
0: <laughs> and I heard it and I kind of I kind of looked away and then I looked back at Dr. Rob. I don't know how, because we didn't even know each other. He looked straight at me and he said, Dave, who told you that?
1: <laughs> no, we didn't oh what a what a money moment. Oh, that is so good.
0: <laughs> so needless to say Dr. Rob and I were buds after that he he thought that was one of the funniest things, but um Dave and I were not ever ever buds after that. <laughs> but I have this vivid memory of that happening. I have a vivid memory of stepping out of this small airport, and the sun setting and the sky looking so different than anything I had ever seen in my life. And we were in Cairns, which is in um, the northern part of Queensland, where the the Great Barrier Reef is, and just a little tiny at the time, a little tiny place. And wow. the the sky was just this bright orange. Like I have this vivid memory. I didn't take a picture. Yeah, I was I was just a kid. I was nineteen. Yeah. Anyway, oh, I, love I love those first memories. Yeah. Yeah. So when you said the market and the vibrancy, mm-hmm. I immediately imagined like the markets that I saw in Paris mm-hmm. with all the colors and yeah. the the scent of fresh baked bread and the stinky cheese and the charcuterie mm-hmm. uh, fish, you know, I could just, I was just transported to whatever vibrant colored markets I had ever seen when you described it that way.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. It just sounds right. Just milling around and it was, you know, cause in Southern, Southern Spain has a lot of um, like Arabic influence because it's mm-hmm. very, you know, it's very, very close, close to Morocco, you know, like um, mm-hmm. much closer to there than other countries in Europe even. Um, right. And so it was, it was just so neat. I mean, the scarves, the pashminas, right? The scarves mm-hmm. and the and the jewelry. And um, I would love to go. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's been 17 years. And I'm like, oh, I want to go time to go back. back. <laughs> yeah. So tell me when you think about that
0: time and clearly it helped in that transformation from the beginning of this conversation, you said that you had been shy and you never wanted to leave. And here you are experiencing Granada and Madrid and, and people with intentional lists. Yes. <laughs> like when you think back on that, clearly it was part of your transformation. But what do you think was um, a story that you could pinpoint that now you look back and you think, oh, yeah, that experience in, in Spain was like a turning point. Was it a food you tried or a person you met?
1: I would say it was sort of this collective. So my my company is called Unmuted, and so what I I believe in the power of unmuting ourselves. That we, as somebody who grew up as a muted version of myself in many ways, right? uniform for twelve years wasn't wasn't really you know physically expressive, mm-hmm. um, wasn't emotionally expressive wasn't, um, didn't express my joy in my art, which was singing, you know, all of us have things we do to mute ourselves. And so I feel like I arrived in Spain as kind of a bit more of a muted version of myself, but as a result of being in this culture where I was exposed to things that I would have not have otherwise been exposed to, like all the food that like, I told them I was allergic to a bunch of, I should not do this. I would not recommend this to anybody, but I told them I was allergic to like seafood and other things. So I wouldn't have to ever try it. Mm. And so, one of the greatest gifts of being in that environment was how expanded my palate became. Like I had, I ate lentils for the first time. Um, I had like I, my senora. I lived in at a homestay with an older woman and her granddaughter, and she would make me the most delicious meals, like tortellini and her tortilla española, which was basically like egg and potato. Um, was mm-hmm. the best I've ever had in my entire life. And she would serve me like half of it because I wanted to make sure all the Americans were like happy and well-fed. So they gave us like exorbitant amounts of food at every meal. <laughs> 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 um, so, and I remember getting, when I got I got sick when I was over there, I got like some GI illness as a result of- that. Shockingly, Shockingly enough. Shockingly enough. And she put me on a diet of fish broth, which I was like, this is quite possibly the worst. <laughs> like, I was like, I just want <laughs> saltine. you out. It, was you a, out. it did. It helped like way because I was like, and I just have crushed ice and um, saltines. And to them, like ice was like dirty. Like you don't put ice in drinks. Right. And saltines. I tried to explain that what that may have was. Been how you got sick in the first place
0: was putting an ice, putting ice in a drink could,
1: <laughs> for all I know. It could have been so like,
0: that's what happens in Mexico.
1: Well, maybe there's my answer. Cause I don't actually, <laughs> I never actually knew why I got sick. I just knew that it was awful. Um, but I remember like, so, so much of my palate, opened up and I tried, like, I didn't eat sauces. I didn't eat soups. I didn't eat seafood. um, I didn't eat any of this stuff really before I went over there, except for like marinara sauce, which like, you know, yeah, standard. standard, And then I'm there and I, it was rude. I I read a book before I went called Spain is Different. Like it's a book that I was recommended to read. And one of the things, which is like, Right? Because we just Thank make goodness. assumptions, right? We need to right. carry our culture over to other cultures. And like, mm-hmm. oh, this is how they are. No, it's... Exactly. No, it's not. That's that's not... That's a bit myopic. And so one of the things they said was that if you're trying something that you don't like here, right, in the, in the States, people will be like, oh, I don't like that. Right? Like, just without... They'll just say, oh, I don't like that. Or "Ooh," or whatever. Um, But there you had to say, it's not, it's not my favorite. Like, so if you tried something you didn't like you had to try it and then you could say it's not my favorite so i remember getting a salad one time of three things i absolutely do not like which at the time i did not like hard boiled eggs and tuna fish which i still don't like and olives and they were all in one salad and i was like yeah i was like brace yourself rachel like (laughs) i was like you have to take a bite of this and it was everything in me to just be like, hold it together. And, and <laughs> You're just, gagging like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> you have to take a bite. I see that. <laughs> it was so painful. I was like, oh gosh. And so I remember so many of my experiences over there were connected to food. And I, I tried it. And so I I started to get braver in that regard of trying it was it was kind of, you know, mm-hmm. this this broader extension to being willing to try things that I'm not familiar with or not comfortable with. And I remember one time I was given a dish that was had something on it looked like a potato slice that had been fried of some kind, you know, some kind. And I tried it and it was so good. And I asked her what it was. And she said a word to me that I did not recognize. And so after dinner, I went to my room, looked in my little dictionary, and I was like, (gasps) Because I thought that I hated eggplant. which i had never tried oh. before but then prepared the right way i was like oh my gosh i've been believing my whole life that i don't like this thing that i've never tried and it was prepared the right way and i was like who knew maybe i actually like eggplant so it was just this Whoa. experience right of like what's your eggplant what's a thing that you've written what, off what do they call eggplant is it some version of aubergine no it's uh, it's berenjena it's like b e r berenjena it's b e r e B R E N J E N A. Say so for now. Huh. It. That's nothing like the French word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I always thought there would be some, you know, basic, I don't yeah. know, foundational word for it, but no. Wow.
1: Say that again. Say it in Spanish again. Berenjena.
0: Oh, that's so pretty. Yeah. So, it's almost as pretty as the color of an eggplant. Right? I know. So who
1: knew? You know? So
0: what a lesson. Like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about things like that I didn't like as a kid. I've never written off any food (laughs) because I love to eat, (laughs) Um, but I have retried a few foods that I still don't like and eggplant is one of them. So this is kind of an ironic conversation. (laughs) As a matter of fact, (laughs) my mom would make eggplant Parmesan. She was famous for it. And I would literally gag it down just like what you were just describing with your nichois salad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally feel you, you know, that gagging. And then um, I've still continued to try it periodically because I keep thinking, well, maybe there's a different version that I'll like. And my husband made this beautiful eggplant Parmesan last week when my mom came to visit. And I was like, Nope, still (laughs) not there. (laughs) I was so sad. I'm going to send you a recipe.
1: He spent all afternoon making
0: it. (laughs) He spent all afternoon making. I felt so bad. I'm like, I'm sorry, honey. It's still not, it's still no good. But there is um, Japanese eggplant, the long skinny ones. And when they are sauteed properly, they don't have the spongy or slimy texture or the combination spongy slimy. And I really like it done with like the Japanese style. So, yeah, yeah. but I love that you, you had basically written it off and, and I'm going to come back to this by the way, because I do want your recipe. Yes. Um, but you, you write something off because you've decided that you don't like it. And then it's presented to you in a different way that you don't actually recognize. And so you don't, you don't give yourself the chance to say no. Right. I think about that with people, Mm -hmm. people that we've kind of written off, Mm -hmm. but then they present themselves to you in a different way. I even did that with my husband when we met. I like our first date I thought was a disaster, but then he started writing me these email messages and his writing was so thoughtful and insightful and smart And full of this very great imagery in his language. And so I actually told a friend, I hope I don't run into this guy because he's going to ruin this image I have of him from his writing. But that's, he presented himself in a different way to me. And I wonder how many times we do
1: that. Mm. So, okay. So you saying that, Sarah, makes, makes me think of, and I have this in a journal, my husband, so we started dating like 15 years ago. We're celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary this um, Congratulations. summer.
0: Congratulations. Oh, Thanks. happy anniversary. <laughs>
1: 10 years is nothing to
0: sneeze at. That's awesome.
1: Thanks. Especially after the past year. Or two yeah, No months. kidding. Living in close quarters like that. Yeah. Yeah. it's It's a lot. But when we first, like I was attracted to him. He was two grades below me. And I met him when I came back from studying abroad in Spain. So he was a freshman and I was a junior. So I hadn't seen him his first semester there. And I was like, I was attracted to him, but I thought he was kind of like this aloof, kind of cocky athlete. That was my perception of who he was. And I was like, I'm intrigued, but I'm like not sure that there's a lot there. Like to be honest, right? Oh no, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which it sounds like your husband's writing sort of mm-hmm. availed itself to you. Like, oh, mm-hmm. there's another layer I missed. Mm-hmm. So I remember, um, you know, I I had him and a friend over, a friend of his who I had been one of his fraternity brothers who I was in gospel choir with. So I was in gospel choir in college, which I joined after I came back from Spain, new lease on life, new sense of courage and confidence. Awesome. And tried out for a solo for the first time after loving to sing my whole life and not being willing to do that. And that quite that way. Mm-hmm. And so I started hanging out with this guy, Bill and, and his friend, Chris, and they came over and we were watching the movie drumline And we were in my um, apartment and I had my computer pulled up and I had my um, iTunes up and I had songs like of um, like worship, like Christian worship music, like, and some of my gospel choir songs that were on there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't want him to see this. I don't want him to like judge me and like think I'm a weirdo. Like I had all these (laughs) thoughts about like, he's going to think I'm a weirdo or something. Right. And then all of a sudden he like clicks on one of them and he like, start sort of like singing along with it. And I was like, "Mm?" I was like, (laughs) that's the Scooby-Doo thing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love that.
1: (laughs) My, my whole perception of him, like in a moment shifted and a little while later, you know, turns out that we would go and sing and play. He, Chris, Bill, and a friend, Kristen of ours, we would all, we were on some version of, like, some musical thing in college. Bill's in jazz band with Kristen. So Bill played saxophone. And Chris was in gospel choir with me. And so we had this crossover. And so we would go and play together at the – they had a couple of pianos on campus. And it used to be a Methodist college, disaffiliated, but they still have the chapels and the pianos in them. And so we would go play together. And then eventually it was just me and Bill that were doing this. And I was like, oh, this is so romantic and so awesome. <laughs> 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 so, like – I, I think back and I'm like, gosh, if I'd never opened the door to the possibility that he, he could be different than my first impressions of him on the surface, would mm-hmm. I have even allowed for that possibility to happen? And that the musical connection was the, really the thing that got us to spend one-on-one time together, which ultimately led to us developing more feelings for each other, which ultimately led us to start dating and to get married. So it's like when we have the courage to try a thing, That to your point, we've otherwise written off or made a judgment Mm -hmm. about or made assumptions about when we're willing to stay curious and open. Like things that we don't that we're not even aware of are possible on the other side of on the other side of that. Beautiful. Exactly right. And there are two things that popped into my
0: head when you said that one was. Your urge to change your music list to hide something that really doesn't label you at all. I love gospel music and I'm Jewish. Yeah, I, 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 every once in a while I have to put on Mary, Mary can't give up now. I just can't give up now. Yeah. Every once in a while I have to put that on. And um, so on its face, he could have, I mean, it could have been a judgment factor. If he had seen that and not been a musician to be able to understand that Loving gospel music doesn't make you a, a hyper vigilant religious Christian.
1: Sure.
0: Um, if he had seen that and decided that, oh, not my girl, mm-hmm. right? That would have told you something about him as well, right? right. So the fact that you were going to hide your what you considered weird, mm-hmm. and I, I the reason this popped into my head is because one of my dear friends just published a book called Weird Girl Adventures. <laughs> Shelly Brown. And her premise is that um, we hide our weird because we think it's what makes us different from people and what disconnects us from others. Mm-hmm. But her diving into this is like, no, that's what connects us. Mm-hmm. We all have this weird that we think is weird, but that others are attracted to because it's different from them or because they actually have a similar Perspective, and it may show up differently. But we both, we all have a weird mm-hmm. that that isn't actually weird, but we we call it weird because we've created this label for ourselves. So yes. I'm just doing a quick plug for Shelley Brown's "Weird <laughs> Weird Girl Adventures." I'll have a link to it in the blog post associated with the podcast, so our listeners can jump in and, and order a copy. Um, but the other thing that popped into my head was that where where can we go with this because When I think about jobs and relationships, whether it's um, a a romantic relationship or other friendship relationship, whatever it is, work relationships, I have a tendency to think that um, we are too quick to come up with our list, our laundry list of the things that we want.
1: Mm.
0: And I think it's so much stronger to come up with your your, um, deal breaker list. Mm. Cause it's going to be much shorter. Mm. These are the things I won't tolerate, mm. right? This these are my deal breakers. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying is what that, uh, where I'm putting this is that it allows us this open curiosity to adventure. I don't know. What do you think? Are you, are you picking up what I'm dropping
1: off here? Yeah. I mean, I think of even the, you know the situation of like deciding to study abroad, right? Like, oh, okay, here's all these preconceived notions I have about what that means. And the type of person that does that kind of thing is like this. I'm not that type of person. I'm not an adventurous person. I'm not a such and such, right? And so it's like the labels we put on a situation or an experience or ourselves, That's stacked up. That's weird. (laughs) It influences the actions that we, like those labels influence the actions that we take and whether or not we experiment with something, whether or not we try something or we're willing to go there. Um, And so I think part of it, you know, I guess as people are listening to think about what are the labels that you have accepted as truth and fact about who you are and about what's possible for you. So for instance, there's a woman named June I'm connected to on LinkedIn. We met on LinkedIn. I don't know, maybe like a year or so ago. She saw the stuff I started to post, and I was singing. People are like, "Whoa!" Like, why do you sing on LinkedIn? I'm like, "Why just like sing in my life in general?" And I just started sharing it on LinkedIn. Like, I've been singing for a long time. I, <laughs> I sing all the it. time, right? <laughs> and she said that she was like, you know, I love dancing. And I was like, wouldn't it be kind of kind of weird for me to like post a video of me dancing on LinkedIn? Like, I'm a recruiter. <laughs> How would I do that? And then she was like, but then I saw you posting singing videos. And I was like, well, if she can post a singing video, I can post a dancing video. And so she started doing this and it started, ha- she started having people reach out to her to say, Hey, I really appreciate the authenticity with which you show up on here because it like, takes a lot of courage to like dance on a social media platform for the world to see. Mm-hmm. And she's gotten some clients out of it. Like the thing okay. that she was going <laughs> to label herself and not That's do weird. <laughs> weird. She was like, well, actually that person did their own version of this. So like, maybe I can too. And so it's like taking that, taking that, like that labeling limiter off, right. Of being like, mm-hmm. hmm, well, what if, what if that wasn't true? And if someone's asking yourself that question. It's like, well, well, I'm really shy. Well, what if, what if you were the opposite? Like, what would that person do? So like, if you were, if you were friendly, what would that person do? Oh, would they do that? We know. Like this is not a mystery, right? It's like oh, I'm really shy. I'm really hey. shy. Okay, well, okay. I'm shy. Maybe it's somebody who's friendly. What would a friendly person do? Oh, they probably just go up and have a conversation or hey. introduce themselves. Like we
0: know these things. We all have models that yeah. we can watch. Correct.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So and design our own version of it.
1: Yes. I'm not sure if that was huh. me going anywhere where you were hoping to go, but that was what came to yes. mind for me when you asked that. <laughs> well, that's exactly right because it it. It has to go both ways is
0: what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. If I can accept my own weird, I have to accept other people's weird. Mm-hmm. I have deal breakers. If I can't mm-hmm. trust you, you're not going to be in my life. That's yeah. a deal breaker. Yeah. If I think you're going to badmouth me behind my back, you're probably not going to be part of my life in any way. If I hear you badmouthing somebody else,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we're probably not going to be friends. Yeah. Those are my deal breakers. Yeah. Almost anything else is open.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. If I, if I see you being cruel in any way, there's a deal breaker, Yeah. but all the other behaviors, I'm like, Hmm, I'm curious about that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's really important to see it from both, both sides of that equation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes the there's, there's a th- thing I did. I started doing when I was, I think I was like 24, 25 at work when I worked for somebody else. And I put this list together. This was very <laughs> Presumptuous, maybe a little bold, um, of of me to do this, but you know I was pretty clear on kind of what I wanted, and so I had a list of what you know the terminology was my highest payoff activities. These are the things that when I'm doing these things, I'm at my best. I show up my most like at 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 the, full, yeah, energy. Just, full energy, full right. energy. You know all these things, and then these are my and I forget where this term originally came from. It's not my original term, but energy vampires. These are my energy vampires. These are the things that when I'm doing these things, they literally suck the life out of me. And so for for everyone listening to get clear, when you think about in a relationship, in a job, even in an activity, like what are the things that are sucking the life out of you? What are the things that are your energy vampires that when you think about them, you're like, that, that is pulling you down in your life Mm -hmm. in some way. And it's affecting your ability to show up as in the way the world needs you to show up right as because you're in this kind of this, you know, I I don't know. I would say this, this, this place of, um, uh, living in this back and forth kind of way of like, yeah, I'm really in for that. But like, Oh, I do this thing. It's a drag. You know, it's like, what are you really fully into? So I I think for people to cut to the extent that you can cut ties with the people or the situations that are your energy vampires or to recalibrate around them and say, Hey, this isn't working. Um, Mm -hmm. what might we do differently here? I think that can be a really powerful exercise for people to to just even walk away from this conversation with thinking about what are my highest payoff activities? What are the things that are life-giving, that bring me joy, that, 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 that access my talents and gifts and the things I'm meant to do in the world? Mm-hmm. And then what are the things that absolutely
0: suck the life drain out of me, me. and drain right? me? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think what people don't realize is how much benefit the people around them get when they reassess exactly how they're spending their time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I know that when I did that a few years ago and and went, became self-employed, um, I, I saw that in my children immediately that our relationship changed mm-hmm. in a positive way. And my relationship with myself changed in a positive way. And um, I think that one of the hardest things is we think about the negative consequences of making those decisions, but we don't actually take into account how extreme the positive consequences can be.
1: Yes. Yes. And well, today that brings to mind a conversation I was having with uh, Kevin Monroe and this group, this extraordinary I life. I love group. Kevin Monroe.
0: Isn't he yeah. wonderful? He's pretty wonderful. We'll have to let him know that he got a shout out.
1: Yes. Uh, talk good. about
0: a purpose driven man.
1: Uh, oh my gosh. He's just, he's, he's as real as they get. I mean, just yeah. genuine and caring and kind and intentional and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were having a conversation this this group, this extraordinary life group, this morning, and um, somebody was talking about just this feeling of feeling pulled into doing this thing that's on her calendar every week, two different nights. She's like, I really don't want to do it, Um, uh, but I feel guilty because it's people I like or people right. that I feel like I should. It's a should, right? And so, you know, I think a lot of us struggle with with that and establishing those boundaries. And and one of the things I'm question, I feel like I'm asking myself over and over and over again. Is, you know, are you more concerned with disappointing other people than you are with disappointing yourself? And what would happen if you cared as much about disappointing yourself as you are about disappointing everybody else? Um, Because we would make different decisions if we actually thought we mattered a bit more Mm -hmm. in regard to that. So... I don't know, maybe someone needs to hear that today. Is is there a way that you're that you're diminishing or downplaying your own value and worth and constantly putting yourself at the bottom of the list or mm-hmm. um, not setting boundaries because you're so afraid of what everyone else, and I care a lot about that. I care more than I would like to admit about what other people think of me and what I do and how I show up and whether I'm impressive. I mean, all of those things have been kind of part of, how I've shown up in the world since I was really little. It was something that got me, made me feel accepted, made me feel mm-hmm. a- approved of, impressing, you know, impressing people and and being good and, and, and getting good grades and winning awards. And all of that was how I found a sense of acceptance. Cause I didn't, I did not feel socially accepted for most mm-hmm. of my childhood, teenage years, early twenties, mid twenties. Really. I feel mm-hmm. like I found acceptance and belonging in the past Truly like three to four years. Wow.
0: I don't think that's uncommon. Yeah, actually. And, and it's kind of sad, of course,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I, I honestly, I don't think it's uncommon, Rachel. Yeah. I think more of us have that sense. And I have this whole theory about the decades of our lives and what our emotional um growth is mm-hmm. in those decades and i i'll share that another time i'm actually i think that's my next book i keep trying to decide if that's the next book i really i believe that that's the next book but um it's not uncommon and i would say that the majority of the people that i talk to 90 to 95% of the people i talk to say i never really fit in anywhere
1: mm-hmm.
0: 90% it's a lot Yeah. So when you think about your school, if your class was 300 students, let's say, in your high school graduating class, if 90% of them never felt like they fed in anywhere, (laughs) where does that leave the other 10%? Yeah. (laughs) And one of my cousins who is just a phenomenal um, writer, and he's a psychoanalyst in London, Aaron Balick, I highly recommend his book. It actually has two out, but um, The Little Book of Calm, Oh it's really written for young adults who have anxiety and it's just fantastic little meditations and ideas about how to how to get yourself through anxiety and and frustration and relationship issues. Anyway, he said to me uh, I was concerned about my my older son who was not fitting in and was struggling socially in school. He said, "You know, after all these years, I look at the people who struggled in high school and the people who didn't struggle in high school. And I think the people who struggled in high school are the ones who become more well-adjusted adults Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: the others think that high school was the highlight of their lives.
1: Yeah. Peak too soon. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's just, they, they hit this point where they think they're so they're done. They're good. I'm good the way I am that they don't go on this voyage of self-discovery. Yeah. So, and, but it's a very small percentage of people who do that because the rest of us never felt like we fit in.
1: (laughs) Isn't it encouraging? It's like, everyone's like, I hope no one knows. I feel like I don't belong. Like on this side of the room, everyone line up. It feels like.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Tell me if you've always felt like you've been part of
0: something. (laughs) Like Oh no. I I think you'd have two people out of 300 right. step forward. I I've agree. always been comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Sure. You have <laughs> what planet are you on? <laughs> right. <laughs> <I> <laughs> That's agree. yes. Oh my gosh. And it kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. To that first conversation of, of um, feeling like you were shy and you didn't, and you wanted to become unmuted mm-hmm. and you found your way of finding that voice just one question just popped into my head that I would like to finish with. Yeah. When you think of the gospel songs or any song that really um, is a phrase that brings you comfort, mm-hmm. I already sang mine. I just can't give up now. Mm-hmm. What's your phrase? That Because I,
1: I tell my clients they need theme songs. Oh yeah, I have a whole playlist. That's why it's. That's why I'm giving you that look. Like, oh geez, because I have a whole playlist of songs.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I know. But there's
0: there's a theme that is yeah. just like one one phrase, one sentence, or one verse in a song that you just go, oh yeah, I got this.
1: Yeah, um, I guess for me, it's <sighs> like pick your favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> Just for
0: the moment. It's yeah, only yeah. your favorite for 5 minutes and, and then the you can have minutes. another
1: favorite, um, you know. I'd say it's uh like um this is who I'm meant to be. This is me. Like that declaration from the Is greatest that Frozen? Showman. The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. Okay, I thought
0: it might be from Frozen. My sister has little girls. So (laughs) I don't know any of their songs. (laughs) Okay, sing that one more time for us because I want to end our conversation with this. And first, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Your Stories, Don't Define You, How You Tell Them, Will. For our listeners, I will have links to connect with Rachel um, on the blog post associated with this podcast so that you don't have to stop what you're doing and write something down. Um, And we will definitely be re- uh, reviewing and, um, reconnecting in the future to have Rachel back on the podcast in the future when she has her Ted out. Cause that's in the future and a book. So yes. thank you for joining me.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I'll close us out with that line again. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> this is who I'm meant to be. This
0: is me. Perfect. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places. And the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist. It's available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review. And let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.